0: Today we're going to talk with the co-founder of Go Nimbly about silos and identifying processes and systems that impact your revenue. Welcome to the Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. All right. Well, hey, welcome to the Friday habit. Today, we have an awesome guest. Jason Reichel, uh, who's the co-founder of Go GoNimbly, the first revenue operations consultancy. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate being here. Yeah. Hey, I got, a, you. I got a question for you. Ben and I have a question for you. Yep. Would you rather be a singer who makes one
1: amazing album or a singer who makes three pretty good ones? Um, as a singer who's been in band since 15 years old, who's never made a good album, <laughs> I obviously have chosen that path. Uh, You guys didn't give that as an option. Um, How about making 20 albums that are unlistenable to most people? That's the option I pick. That's what you did. (laughs) Yes. Yeah,
0: I'm torn because I feel like if you are a singer who makes one amazing album, you know, like that one hit, you probably could live off that for the rest of your life. But you could have an... Wait, wait, wait. So so, so your definition of amazing is commercially successful? Commercially successful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Well...
0: But I mean, I guess there are a lot of non-commercially amazing records. You know, records that weren't commercial that are fantastic. Like, there's this guy named Jude, and he put out this record called King of Yesterday. And nobody knows about this record. It's never been played on the radio. But it had, like, one... uh, a few seconds in this movie called the bubble boy from like back in the, you know, nineties. <laughs> I, I remember bubble boy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I found this record and then I fell in love with like the whole record, but like nobody was like, this is a good record. I'm like, this is a great record. Yeah. I, I feel that
1: way about this band called the Beatles. Have you heard of them before?
0: <laughs> they made some,
1: uh, a few. Okay. You know, they were only together for like five years. So what, what could you really do yeah, <laughs> with no. that? I've been in a ba- the same band for a decade. Uh, we were just talking about uh, releasing a retrospective called "Please Like Our Band Now," uh, as hopes that uh, people will get into it finally. Uh, I like that.
0: That that is awesome. Well, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're on the show. Uh, I, I'm really interested to, to kind of hear about your journey, hear more about you know where you came from and, and how you got to where you are. So, you know, fill us in on, on your your journey. Fill us in a little bit about. Uh, you know, where you started and then how Go Nimbly kind of came into uh, existence.
1: Sure. Um, My background is in uh, the creative spaces. So I worked in some special effects studios um, in advertising, those kind of uh, places. And that sort of led me. I always had like a business mind. So very early on, all my bands, which are not good, have been more successful than they should be because I was always good at the business side of things. So the, the things that other bands aren't good at, like showing up on time or, uh, you know, making sure you get paid, um, those kind of things I've, I've always been really good at. So I always had pretty successful bands and always pretty successful in kind of any endeavor I did creatively was more successful than the talent that went into it. It kind of was my first lesson that like uh, frameworks and discipline can override creativity, um, although I am very creative. I am kind of a generalist and I believe in a generalist mindset about most things. So I, I love being a generalist about stuff and and knowing as much as I can. That led me uh, into the world of sort of sales and marketing and all that. And I ended up becoming a consultant in my mid-20s and worked for a company that was purchased by IBM uh, and did large-scale transformations, digital transformations for you know, large-scale banks and media companies like NBC and all of these other kinds of organizations. I eventually got out here to San Francisco, uh, opened their office in San Francisco. um, And while in San Francisco, sort of felt the calling to move back into more of a creative space, became the VP of product at a couple organizations, the largest of those organizations being this company called Trade Shift, uh, which was valued at a billion dollars, a unicorn company in Silicon Valley. Um, While I was there, though, uh, it was apparent to me that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of engineering types who started companies could build great product, but their marketing teams and their sales teams were not really that great. They really weren't that effective. Um, and I had the idea for unifying those teams and teaching those teams on uh, how to engage the customer in a meaningful way. Uh, and that was the first version of this Go nimbly that we have now. That's been around for like four and a half years. We are now, you know, predominantly the the thought leaders in the revenue operations space uh, from before it was called revenue operations to where it's at now. And revenue operations is essentially the unification operationally of sales, marketing, customer success teams, the people who touch your customer and then make sure that we fill in those gaps so that your customer has a flawless personalized buying experience. We found in the B2B tech space, you're losing about 26% of revenue off each customer because of bumps that they've experienced in the buying process. So that's what we kind of solve. And I think as all of us being entrepreneurs, we know how easy it is to lose sight of your customer when you're running your business and focus instead on the internal politics or the frictions internally. I tend to believe that if you focus on customers and their gaps first, everything else kind of becomes easier to align within an organization.
0: Hmm. So you said it was the unification of sales, marketing, operations. Is that what you said?
1: Uh, Unification of sales, marketing, customer success, the people involved for upsells and cross-sales. And then the operators who make those systems work. You gotcha. used to be here, sales ops people, your marketing ops people, those kind of people. Cool.
0: So, uh, did you kind of just have this idea of like, oh, I'm going to move from working for a company to do my own thing, and it's going to be in this specific area? And you just went out and did it, or how did you like start your your? Cons-
1: consultancy like how how, how did that all come about i'm a very big fan of design thinking um and especially one uh, theory of design thinking called emergent pattern recognition um and so that's when you start to see correlations between things that don't seem alike um and so when i was on the product side i saw how product managers had really maximized um things like road mapping and directions to bring clarity to the organizations they worked in and saw how disorganized all of your front end marketing and sales processes were and how they interacted with the customer and how it was still so much about the individuals when you work on the product side of a business and build a product it's not so much about the individuals on there yeah you have great product managers you have great engineers but you actually focus on the use cases of your users you actually focus on all of the pains you're trying to solve Mm -hmm. and you expect that a junior developer can contribute to that the same way a senior developer might be able to Um, whereas on the marketing and sales side it's a lot of cult of personality, right? And a lot less about um, doing things in a more intentional way. And so I thought, oh, we can bring a lot of these lessons that I've learned through being a VP of product to sales and marketing teams, especially where, and you know, there's a trend, and I think this is going to continue, where VC funding for tech companies they were giving the same amount, but they were giving it to more companies. So instead of one company getting a $200 million check, they were getting a $50 million check, which means that they needed to operate successful businesses earlier on. And they just weren't equipped to do that. Um, And so that was sort of the idea, the hypothesis of the idea. Uh, And then as we started to go in here and collect all this data and research of the work we were doing, we were seeing how these methodologies really did impact revenue in a way that it's not even an ROI statement. It's a wow, operations can actually generate revenue. Like the people focused on the customer by saying this process is broken. The customer's experiencing this gap. Let's fill this in can actually generate revenue that you would have just left on the table because you would have just left that be a problem forever. Um, and so that was kind of a aha moment, um, for the organization and for speaking about this at scale, you know, now I'm doing keynotes and um, podcasts and panels and all this stuff. And people that are implementing these processes and methodologies are seeing huge gains in their revenue. So it it's, seems dumb to say, hey, focus on your customer and what they're experiencing and you'll make more money. Um, but it took four <laughs> years to convince people that that uh, wasn't as dumb as it sounded.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I, I'm, you know, kind of curious about is you, you talk about, you know, prioritizing what's important versus urgent. And and how to best do that. So, what are some, I guess, tips or or tricks or you know ideas that you have ar- around that?
1: Yeah, this you know, as stupid as the Eisenhower Matrix is, it it works ninety nine percent of the time. So, if you're looking for how to prioritize important and urgent, just look at the Eisenhower Metric uh, Matrix as a, a starting point, a framework that makes sense. Um, but essentially, you know, you have urgent things in your organization. Um, both important, urgent things and non-important, urgent things. And there's something like a stat that I was reading that 80% of the time in a business is spent on the urgent, non-important things. So, you know, one of the habits that I picked up is what is urgent and important? So that's going to get done. That's just uh, it's going to get done. And then how can I make more important things urgent? How can I give them constraints that make them urgent to my organization as a leader so that they move into the urgent and important uh, category. Sometimes, you know, that's a little, for lack of a better word, manipulative, because you have to create these constraints or this urgency, sometimes out of thin air, especially if you're a leader who believes that your organization can focus on firefighting. You know, everyone that owns an agency knows the firefighting that comes at owning an agency. Mm -hmm. Go Nimbly was never meant to be an agency. It's not an agency. In my opinion, it's a product company. Uh, We don't have named resources. All of our customers are on subscription. Um, and we are building product that will eventually replace humans within our consulting or, uh, arrangements. So from our perspective, we've always thought of ourselves as a product company. Hmm. We were using individuals who are very highly skilled operators to do research in the marketplace, figure out what customers actually need, help them solve those problems so that we would know how to build our software. So, you know, that ultimately is sort of how, how we went about doing it. But even within that, even though everyone knows that's the goal of the organization and where and where we're going, it's still very easy for them to get lost in the day-to-day of, we have a, cu- a customer who's escalated because they're unhappy with the solution of our work. And that's urgent, but how important is that? Everyone here who runs an agency or listens to this podcast or does anything should learn about a, uh, a thing, and I don't know if I can curse on here, this is not my, uh, my naming, but uh, I love this naming, so I'm going to say yeah, it. Yeah. What's called the reverberation of fuck, which is, Every decision that you make is going to have some reverberation and you can continue to answer yourself in an echo chamber if you don't realize, oh, this is just a reverberation of a decision I've already made. Hmm. Um, And so what's really important about this is to understand when you're just experiencing your own echo from a decision that you made three months ago versus when a new problem arises in your organization. So those are the two methods that I kind of use, which is not everything needs a decision. Not everything's a fire. Some fires like customers being upset are natural. Right. Um, and to be expected now if that continues to happen and we see a trend then that's actually an issue that we have to uh, you know, really address um, yeah. all my customers who are listening to this I very much value your business <laughs> I don't want you to be unhappy That's not, you know, we will do what we need to do of but course. those are kind of just the urgent things they're not that important even though everybody wants them to be important sure. right. it's not that important because it just happens you, know, it's, it's, you eat breakfast you feel full you own an agency, customers are sometimes unhappy with the work yeah. Um that's a reality to my in my in my world.
0: Yeah, right. I once uh communicated in a Slack channel to my team uh that the client was also in <laughs> and I just, you know, they the the you know, team member had said like, "Hey, they they really need this now." And and then I just responded like I understand they need that, but our priority is to this client at this current time. And we'll have to get to that like on Friday. And then that client texted me, said, Hey, (laughs) I saw you said that. And I said, Hey, I'm sorry. Uh, but I was just trying to communicate that you are important to us, but we also have other things going on that we have to focus on and put our time
1: and energy into, you know? Yeah. A tactic that I like to do with my leadership team and anyone below me is even overstatements. I think this is a, habit that as a leader, if you get into even overstatements and really embrace them, you can bring a lot of clarity. I always feel like our job as leaders is to bring clarity to our team. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, authority is something that you only have to use when things go off the rail. It should be mostly us using our, uh, using our vast knowledge and experience to give clarity to our people. So one of the mechanisms that I use a lot is even overstatements, which is this. It's two things that we lo- want equally as much, but we have to choose one to be over the other one. Right, So I would choose at GoNimbly to believe in our revenue operation methodologies, even over customers who want specific projects from us. Because as you guys may know, as running an agency, sometimes your customer comes in with a specific pain and they are not interested in how you do your work. Mm. And in fact, most and sometimes you're like, try to convince them. They're like, okay, that's great, but we want to, we need to get this done. So can we just put off, you know, this, in our example, we have this meeting with everyone on their team so we can understand their entire business process. And they're like, can we just put that off and you can help us with our project? And it's like, no, we can't do that. We understand you have this pain. We also want to solve your pain. But for us, we're going to go through our methodology because it's more important that you get the full experience and decide I don't like it. Then you just get this thing that's half-assed from us. And then we go, well, you never let us do our work. And then you go, well, why didn't you tell me it was important? And so you know, using these even overstatements – Builds a clear picture in the minds of your staff and below, you know, everyone across the organization and helps with all the personal biases we have to please people. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel that in my role for sure. I'm sure you guys do as well. And so I really believe in these even overstatements as a way of like uh, checking in with yourself and going, no, this is what's good for the organization. This is what's good for the ship.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I feel like for us on our team, we, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but two of our, our top values are creating great quality design work and creating a great customer experience. But when those two collide, I guess wording in the way you say it would be, we are creating a great customer experience even over quality of work. Like if the in the end, the design, you know, they're like, hey, I really want this giant red button. We'll say like, hey, there's a better way to do this. Here's the other options. Like we recommend this. Don't think we should do that. But in the end, we're not
1: going to be like, no, we're not going to die on that hill. You know, We're going to give them what they want in the end. So Yeah, I mean, it's a decision you have to make as a business. I always right. think about this. Uh, my friend is kind of a famous tattoo artist, uh, does this old style called Sailor Jerry style tattoos, which is like a 1940s style tattoo work. And he in his shop, if you bring in something like tribal artwork or something like that, no offense to anyone that has that kind of <laughs> artwork on them, he'll be like, no, it's not for me. Like, So he'll turn down yep. work, which in COVID he needs over putting his name on a style that he doesn't care about mm. other tattoo shops are like bring whatever you want we're a service for you there is not a right or wrong in that and there is no moral high ground in my point of view it's just the clarity on which you're going to make decisions and 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 making sure that clarity making sure that an organization as is, is as least hypocritical as possible yeah people are hypocritical we're going to go against our own values and our own principles sometimes. But ultimately, are we in the column of doing more of our principled work than we are in the column of kind of just flying by the seat of our pants and and chasing money or chasing our customers? Mm. Um, And I feel like that makes a better, stronger experience for our customers.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Can you, I was really curious um, what you were talking about when you said understanding when
1: something like a problem is a reverberation of a previous decision, what would be an example of that? So I always tell people this, um, here's a good example. Uh, when we were trying to get to $10 million, um, in revenue, um, as an organization, and we were bootstrapped. So I've been in parts of organizations that's raised funds and, but, and I've also now built organizations that didn't raise funds and and they're a very different experience. Um, you know, I got sat down with my leadership team saying, Hey, we're pretty good right now. We could grow by 30% next year and not really feel it as an organization. It wouldn't be stressful, or we could double down and grow by a hundred percent, um, And what do you want to do? And at the time I was a naive CEO and everyone said, well, we want to grow to, we want to double our revenue. So let's do that. What I wasn't clear on, and I knew this from my own experience, but didn't think about externalizing it to my team, was that every strategy decision you make has an underbelly, has a shadow side. Mm -hmm. So what is the shadow side for a company like ours to decide, make the strategic decision to go after 100% growth? Well, Obviously, uh, there's going to be a lot of staffing pains. There's going to be a lot of cultural hits that that takes. There's going to be a lot of growth pains for our customer. And instead of listing all of those things and doing Mm -hmm. a little pre-mortem on our strategy so that when they showed up, we would be like, yep, we expected this. Right, right uh we didn't do that mm. and we all kind of have the had, had what i you know uh, jason freed, if you read uh anything by the basecamp guys yeah. uh which is caused an illusion of agreement right um that we were all going to do this thing but w- you know what was yellow and what was red were very different for each person mm-hmm. um and it caused a lot of problems down the line when when staffing became an issue and people were like we can't staff this we're going to have to pull back on our customer growth we're going to have to tell sales to stop selling That wasn't an option because we had already agreed to double the organization. And that just created a lot of internal friction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas saying, hey, this decision we're making is going to have these reverberations. And when they show up, we can't abandon the strategy. We need to double down and go to our staff. We know. Mm -hmm. We understood. We expected this. And if we didn't expect it, say, we didn't expect it, but we still expect it. We still know this is a problem from that strategy. Because what tends to happen in organizations and why so many organizations, in my opinion, fail it's cuz they abandon good strategy because they don't realize that strategy has pain. Mm. Mm. Right? And so when they when they abandon that strategy, all they do is then they go backwards. Uh, and 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 your staff over time will feel this sense of where are we going? We're just kind of floating around in the ocean and the worst thing that someone can say to a CEO in my opinion is you're opportunistic. I think CEOs need to be opportunistic, but if what your staff views you as is opportunistic versus strategic, that means if you fail at an opportunity, if an opportunity turns out to not be correct, you're going to lose the trust of your team. Hmm. Whereas if you have a strategy and it fails, your team is sometimes going to double down and say like, oh, this is a brave person who went after something. And it didn't work out. It wasn't the right choice. And they're going to stick with you through through that phase of the organization. I don't know if any of you have ever been in. And I mean, a lot of people are in this because of COVID. But in a downturn, GoNimbly had grown 100% year over year. We luckily didn't have to lay anyone off during COVID. But last year, we were down by 20%. Um, and that was a new experience for us. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was a, a hard lesson to learn and try to maneuver the team from. But be, be, because we're focused on broader vision and, and broader goals and strategies that have reverberations, I think we were able to maneuver the team a little bit better than a lot of organizations could, you know, because that has a reverberation of, we, we decided to keep everyone that means this year when we're not doing raises because we were down in the last quarter by 20%, we're not getting a lot of people that are going, you know, fuck you. We're getting a lot of people that are going, yeah, thank you. You know, and yeah. of course everybody wants raises. And of course, ultimately, if we can't bounce back from this, we may lose people because they felt like they worked really hard and deserve a raise. But at least they understand the logic that's going into it. And we're not asking them to put a lot of political capital into it, which is what most organizations would do, is they would never talk about this kind of stuff. And then they would have a team meeting, going, hey, we didn't hit our goals. We're not going to give all any of you guys raises. And then just hope that everyone feels lucky enough to have a job that they're not going to get too pissed off about it. And, you know, I just think that's not really the most proper way, the most habitual way, most intentional way. And going back to the name of the show, the habitual way to run a business. Hmm. I think it's about transparency and being open minded and expressive to your teams. Um, and so that's a hard thing. I mean, I, it, yeah. How, how large is your team uh, right now uh, with, cons- with contractors probably between s- about 70 people. Okay. Nice. Yeah. What about you guys? What, what's your team sizes right now?
0: Yeah. So we are at brand Viva. There's four of us um, plus, you know, 10 contractors that do different things. Yeah. There's five
1: of us full time, no contractors. Just all we just, well, I mean the, the challenge at that size, right. Is that everyone's opinion really does matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in, more so than not, you also have a, probably, if you've been working with those people a long time and they're not, you know, agency founders, they have a lot of opinions that if you don't take seriously, can really disrupt everything, right? Like, we're lucky enough now that we have a cultural size that, you know, sometimes our culture solves cultural problems for us. Right. I don't have to solve all the cultural problems. Um, you know, one of the other things that we struggle with is that we are a flatter organization, so I don't believe in putting management in until it's absolutely necessary, um, and that's causing problems of the size that we are now because I'm not willing to put managers in because I think what my team mostly wants is someone to vent to, not someone to give right. them clarity. Right. Um, and I'm not going to pay someone. I'm not going to pay an in-house therapist. Um, so even though I believe in mental health and right. encourage everyone to go, go to a therapist, I'm just not going to have right. it be someone's job. To think that you're managing someone just because your team is like stressed out and wants to complain to someone. Yeah. So, you know, those kind of things are decisions that you have to make and you have to stand beside and go, This is the strategy we selected. It's gonna have some downside. There's a real positive side making the strategy choice to have managers as an example.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the downside is your team grows. Your team grows less from a sense because they're being judged every step of the way in a management cycle about what their skills are. Whereas now, we have a very much a self-betterment culture, which is you have to go do this. If you if you think it needs to get done, you have to go do it. Mm. Um, that has its plus and rewards. Uh, a lot of times people don't like it when they're working at the organization or, have fr- or are frustrated by it, and then they leave the organization and they go to another tradition, more traditional uh, organization who has more traditional organizational beliefs, and they're bored mm. um, because the role is so specific for them, and so, you know, Um, What do you want to work on for your professional development? Oh, I don't see how that's related to your job. So we're not going to support that. You know, that's a very different organization than what we have. Yeah. All right. We're going to pause this conversation
0: here. Uh, Go to the Fridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, There you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit system that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, Also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at the Until next time, live every day like it's Friday.